So, uh, Hare Krishna, welcome to our Sunday Bhagavatam class. By Krishna's mercy, we're still here. Um, today is July 26th, if I can read that properly. So, um, today we're going to begin with Bhagavatam 1, 823, Canto 1, Chapter 8, Text 23. So, we first... Uh, Thank Prabhupada for this opportunity to read and try to understand the Bhagavatam. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. <coughs> so, uh, Verse 2023, So, uh, here, the first line, uh, Kunti Devi addresses her Shikesha, the Lord of the senses. All of us would like to control our senses a little better than we do now. And so that we can not uh, be pulled away from pure Krishna consciousness by... Uh, false desires of the material body and mind. And Krishna is Rishika, Rishika Isha, Rishikesha, the Lord of the Rishikas or the Lord of <clears throat> the senses. So that's the, the name that uh, Kunti Devi here chooses to to address and glorify Krishna. So Yata Rishikesha, so O Rishikesha Yata, just as Devaki, Kalena, by the cruel, or Prabhupada says here, by the envious Kangsa, by cruel or envious Kangsa, Kalena, Kangsena, Rudha was imprisoned, Atichiram, for too long, for a very long time she was imprisoned, Sucharpita, and afflicted with grief, uh, Vimochita, and she was liberated. She was freed. Ahangcha, and I too. So she says, just as Devaki was uh, imprisoned and uh, afflicted with grief for too long by the cruel Kansa, but then she was liberated. Uh, I too. Sahat Maja, Sahat, together with Atmaja, my children, my sons. I was I was also liberated together with my sons. Vibho, O Almighty One. Toyaeva, by you alone. Toyaeva, which Toyaeva, by you alone, Devaki and I too, and with my sons, we were all liberated. 
by you alone, Natena, O protector, O Lord. Nata, as in Jagannatha, uh, means Lord, but also in the sense of a guardian, someone who looks after you, protects you. So, Toyaiva Natena, Muhur, repeatedly, Vipadganat, uh, uh, I and my sons were, were freed repeatedly. O oh Lord, O oh protector, by you, we were freed from Vipadganat, a series of troubles, series of misfortunes, and we were freed. We were protected and we were freed from all of that, from a series of troubles by you, O oh Lord. So that's literally what this verse says. So the translation here by Prabhupada, O Hrishikesha, master of the senses and lord of lords, you have released your mother, Devaki, who was long imprisoned, distressed by the envious King Kangsa, and me and my children from a series of constant dangers. So the next verse, which is 1824, Kunti here lists the actual dangers and troubles from which she and her sons were free. Vishan, uh, from poison. Uh, if you remember in the Mahabharata, Bhima uh, was poisoned. So Vishat, in, in the word for word, means from, from, from poison, Mahagne, from the Mahagni, from the great fire in the house of, in the, in the uh, house of Lakman. Triyotana, with Dhritarashtra's consent, tried to burn down the house of the Pandavas and kill them. So from poison, from the great fire, Purushada, from the man-eaters, literally, Purushada, Ada means an eater. So Purushada Darshanat, Darshan, from the Darshan, with the, in other words, from the encounter, from the encounter, from the Darshan, the encounter with cannibals, the man-eaters. These were the Rakshasas. Uh, there was uh, Idimba, and then there was um, in, uh, in uh, Ekad Chakra, uh, anyway, I forgot, the, but there was another. So there, time to time, there were these Rakshasas, these cannibals. Asatsavaya, and you protected us from the literally like the unholy assembly or the sat means like good, the evil assembly, uh, the sabha, when Draupadi was offended and uh, when the Pandavas were cheated in the gambling match. So that was, that's called her, she calls it here the asat sabha, the unholy or the, the wicked assembly. Banavasa Kritshataha, and from all the troubles of living in the forest, Banavasa, living in the forest, dwelling in the forest, and Kritshataha, from all from the troubles of living in the forest, Mridhe, Mridhe, in battle after battle. Uh, the way you say that in Sanskrit, Mridha means battle. Is you repeat the word, Mridhe, Mridhe, in battle after battle, Aneka Maharatastrataha, from the Astras from the weapons of uh, so many uh, Maharatas. In Sanskrit, Eka means one, and 
many, one way of saying is aneka, not one. In other words, a lot, so many. So aneka, aneka, maharata, astrataha, from the weapons of um, so many maharatas in the battle of Kurukshetra, or, or in battle after battle, including Kurukshetra. Droniastratahas, and from the weapon of Ashwatthama, Droni, the son of uh, Drona, Dronacharya. So from the weapon of Droni, Droniastratas, Cha, and Asma, we were, Asma means we were, Hare, uh, O Hari, Abhirakshitaha, uh, protected. Prabhupada and Trump here completely protected. Abhirakshita, directly protected. Abhirakshita. So, Vishan Mahagne Purushada Darshanat, Asatsavaya Vanavasa Kritrataha, Mridhe Mridhe Neka Maharatastrato, Dronyastratas Chasma Hare Abhirakshita. Uh, I'll read again Prabhupada's translation, which is very interesting. My dear Krishna, your Lord, your Lordship has protected us from a poisoned cake, from a great fire, from cannibals, from the vicious assembly, from sufferings during our exile in the forest, and from the battle where great generals fought. And now you have saved us from the weapon of Ashwatthama. So we'll go to the next verse. Vipadak Santu. So this is a very famous verse. Tak Shaswat Tatra Tatra Jagad Guru Bhavato Darshanam Jatsyat Apunar Bhavadarshanam. Very famous verse. So Vipada, misfortune, Prabhupada says calamities. In Sanskrit, there is Sampad, uh, which means good fortune, and Vipad, which means misfortune. And um, Bhakti Thakur has a song where he says, Sampade Vipade, in good fortune and bad fortune, Krishna, you are my Lord. So here, Vipada. Pada uh, literally means going. Uh, this, the verb pad in Sanskrit means to go. From that, we get the word pada, foot. Pada and um, like uh, Padaravinda, Padaravindra, lotus feet. And actually other verbs for go, which mean to go, mean can mean foot in the noun. Like for example, char means to go in Sanskrit, and charana means going. So charanaravinda, the lotus feet. So charana, pada, pada, different. Uh, so these verbs, which can mean to go, mean the foot, which goes. So, but um, here, V means awry or like off, going off, like Vipada. So, Sampada, going well, and Vipada, going badly. So, here we have the word Vipada, the going badly, or in other words, the misfortunes, calamities. Prabhupada translates it here as calamity. So, Vipada, Santu, Tak, Shashwat. So, Ta means those. Let those misfortunes uh, let them be let them happen. Talk shashwat uh, always again and again. Prabhupada translates it shashwat. Vipadak santu santu means let them be. 
let those misfortunes be or occur uh, repeatedly. Uh, Prabhupada says again and again, Tatra, Tatra. Tatra means there. So in Sanskrit, if you say there, like it's like everywhere, like, you know, like wherever we go, tatra, or here and there. It's a way, that's how you'd say in Sanskrit, here and there. Tatra, Tatra, Jagaguro, O Lord of the Universe. O Guru, actually Guru of the Universe. Prabhupada translates it, Lord of the Universe, but O Guru of the Universe, Lord of the Universe. Bhavato Darshanam Jatsyad, because yet means thereby, Jasmat, it's a stance anyway, stands for that. Syat, uh, there can be Bhavato Darshanam, your Darshana, seeing you. Apunar Bhavadarshanam. And your Darshanam means never, so seeing you means never again. Apunar, never again. Bhavadarshanam, seeing material life. Never again seeing material life. So to see you means that one will not again see material life. So Kunti's ultimate goal here is not to stay in the material world forever suffering. We should point that out. She's saying people that send to what she's saying those troubles. She's not trying to, she's not begging for new troubles, but, but she's saying those troubles, you know, let them happen, let them be, uh, and, and, and they did come repeatedly because, so it's interesting, if you look at the Sanskrit grammar very carefully here, you know, what Kunti is actually saying, she's not necessarily uh, praying for new troubles, which is interesting because I know it's a little frightening for many devotees because the troubles we already have or for most of us are all we really want. But um, she's not technically saying, let there be new troubles. She's saying, because remember in the previous verse, she listed the troubles they all went through. And then she's saying, okay, let, you know, in other words, I'm not saying I wish those things had never happened. In a sense, she's saying, I wish those things had never happened. She's not saying that. She's saying, let it be. Let it be that those troubles happen repeatedly. She's not necessarily saying that I want more tr constant troubles. Please don't let me go 15 minutes without a major problem. She's saying that those, let it be, let, let, it, let those constant troubles be in the sense that, that they happened, tatra tatra, everywhere we went, oh Jagakuru. Because uh, one can see you by those troubles, and therefore one uh, will not again see material life. Because she's actually seeing Krishna. We have to remember that we, you know, we always talk about the prayers of Queen Kunti. It's not that she's alone in her room or you know walking along the river bank or something and just praying to Krishna as we might pray to Krishna. She's actually there with Krishna. So when she says, Bhavato Darshanam, seeing you, she's seeing Krishna as she says that. So she's actually, what she's praying for, or what she's saying that because of all these troubles, we're seeing you and I'm seeing you right now. I'm seeing you at this very moment. And because I'm seeing you at this moment, I will not again see material existence.
So Vipadaksantutak, let those troubles be. Uh, so she's not literally saying here, I hope in the future there'll be lots more troubles. Uh, you can take it that way, but um, that's not literally what she's saying. So, uh, or it doesn't have to be taken that way in Sanskrit. And uh, because again, because she just listed and she's not necessarily praying for new troubles. She's saying, let it be that, that you know, all these troubles again and again, because now I'm seeing you, I'm seeing you right now. Therefore, I'm not going to see you in material life. So the Sanskrit allows that interpretation. Prabhupada famously said, I remember when he said it, that if we study the Bhagavatam, then there will always be new lights. In other words, uh, the idea is not uh, that to say this is a meaning, not maybe what something that Prabhupada said, but, but new light. This is another way we can take it. So one can also pray in this way, that whatever troubles I've had, that's fine, but now I just want to see you. And, and if I can see you, then that I won't really have troubles. Because if you think of it, when Kunti was with Krishna, there was actually no trouble. Not only in the sense that Krishna rescued her and her sons, but in those times when she was seeing Krishna, she was all right. She was safe. So uh, the next verse, <clears throat> and then we'll take some questions. The questions can be sent. Janmai Sarya, oh, this is another, these are very famous verses. Janmai Swarya Shuta Shivir Idhamana Madakuman Naivar Hatyavidhatum Vai Twang Akinchana Gochra. So Kunti says here that <clears throat> Puman, a person, Prabhupada translates it, he translates it as human being. Puman, a person, uh, Madak, uh, who is maddened, who is mad with Edamana, with increasing. Uh, Edamana is the present participle. So it actually means, and Prabhupada translates it progressively increasing. Edamana, Eda is to increase, and Mana is the ing, increasing. So uh, increasing madness from Sri beer, from Sri, from uh, beauty, uh, Shuta, from education, Aishwarya, uh, which means uh, opulence or power also because the word Aishwarya comes from the word Ishwara. So Ishwara means a Lord, a governor. And so from the word Ishwara, Aishwarya, sort of like lordship. Or, and in that sense, it can also mean opulence. And janma, birth, meaning good birth. So a person who is mad or whose madness is increasing, literally, yeah, whose madness is increasing because of their good birth, their uh, power in the world or their opulence, uh, shruta, education, and sri, their uh, beauty or wealth. Um, that person whose madness is increasing, not eva, not ever, can uh, 
Arhati is able to or deserves to abhidatum to address by certainly Tuang Yu certainly is not able to or deserves to uh, address you because you are a kinchana gocharam. Kinchana, kinchana in Sanskrit means something, and a kinchana means nothing. So, uh, and go senses chara to move. So, go chara is a common word in Sanskrit, which means something like within the range of uh, or perceptible by. Uh, so, in other words, within within the area in which your senses can go. So it's it's visible to you because you're, or, or you can hear it because your senses can go uh, within that range. So uh, <clears throat> Prabhupada translates it as approached easily, but, but that's what it, it technically means. And so, in other words, so Krishna, you are visible to, or you can be understood, or approached, as Prabhupada says or uh, you are within the range of someone who has nothing, who, someone who is a kinchana, not, it doesn't mean they actually have nothing. Prabhupada, obviously he had, you know, Krishna gave him uh, money to spend, to buy temples, to print books. He had beautiful quarters in different parts of the world, but he did not think any of this actually belonged to him. He knew that all this belongs to Krishna and is meant to be used strictly in Krishna's service. So if you see all of your possessions as belonging to Krishna, uh, then you are a kinchana, no matter how much wealth you have, because you don't think anything that you possess is meant for your sense gratification. So in that sense, uh, uh, so, so getting back to the grammar of the sentence, Kunti is saying, that uh, someone who is increasingly illus uh, um, bewildered or increasingly in illusion, increasingly in illusion because of wealth or beauty or education or power, opulence and birth. So if you have all these things, a good birth, opulence, uh, power, or education, or beauty, or fortune, but you you see it all as belonging to Krishna, and you use it only for Krishna's pleasure, then this verse does not apply to you. It, it, only, it applies to people who are actually becoming crazy from these things, and you become crazy from these things if you think they belong to you, or you should get credit for it. Like, like uh, let's say someone is good looking, then uh, at my age, that's no longer a... Uh, a temptation to think that. So, the age of the body. So, but if someone thinks, for example, I'm good looking, no, Krishna has created an attractive body and he stuck you in it. And just remember that, that Krishna, that you're not the body and Krishna put you in that body and he made the body and so on. So, uh, those who are increasingly crazy, foolish, bewildered, mad by, by, by claiming all these things that actually belong to and were created by Krishna, such a person, such a person uh, does not deserve to 
the Prabhupada says, actually, the Arhati, anyway, I won't go into all the grammar here, or is not able to, is unworthy. That, that's another, actually, that's a really good translation. Is unworthy to call upon you who specifically can be approached by people who are not like that. People who are a kinchana, who do not think that anything they possess is their credit. They see it all as Krishna's credit and Krishna's property. So they are a kinchana gotram. Or Krishna is a kinchana gotram. You who are uh, within the range of people who do not falsely claim that these things belong to me or my credit. So that's that verse. Uh, let me see if there are any questions today. Okay, uh, here are some questions. Uh, in the text 24, in text 24 purport, Srila Prabhupada contradicts the self-evident explanations, the Shastra Srimad Bhagavatam evidence that it was touching the hair that was the offense and not necessarily trying to strip the clothes. How can we convince others about this? I apologize if this question is not appropriate anyway. Uh, let's see. Uh, text 24. Um, was that text 24? Actually, text 24, does, it just says that uh, the um, vicious or the wicked assembly, it doesn't really talk about touching Dropity's hair. Uh, it doesn't say what the offense was. So, and I, I explained this many times, so maybe I won't talk about it here today because, I'm talk, because it's not literally in the verse. And... Uh, Bhagavatam is our highest authority, and so, um, so we can. Uh, anyway, that's a topic for another day. But thank you for the question. So perhaps you could look up or write to and she can direct you to many, many places where I've explained that. So Krishna told Arjuna to throw a brahmastra to retract Aswatthama's weapon. Then he was imprisoned and had his head jewel removed. Was there another Brahmastra against Uttara after Ashwatthama had his head jewel removed or had he launched it before? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'd never really thought, I mean, I know that he, there was another, it was at the same Brahmastra. The Brahmastra, it, it's not like, it's not so much a weapon that, um, that, um, that you have in your backpack or you have, you know, Ashwatthama sort of wandering the world carrying these Brahmastras. It's, it's a power you create with mantra. Uh, so, um, so in a sense, as long as you're alive and are able to chant mantras, you can launch one. Uh, but um, whether this is just another, because this second Brahmastra came after uh, Arjun's daughter-in-law and uh, Uttara, and so whether that, you know, the exact chronology, it, it seems like that this one was later, it seems like the chronology of the Bhagavatam is the actual chronology uh, because it comes later in the Bhagavatam and by that time, uh, everything else has been settled. 
whereas the first Brahmastra comes when the sons of the Pandavas, I mean, it's still, they're still in the battlefield in a sense. There's, the Pandavas are still in their military camp. The, uh, the five sons are sleeping. So the second one must have happened later. And uh, Shatama launched it by mantra. So in verse 23, Queen Kunti says, we can't progress if we are trying to improve uh, ourselves in material things like higher education. I'm assuming uh, that this is true if you are aiming at getting a uh, degree for fame or any other material goal, not if the degree will help you in spreading Krishna consciousness. Yeah, that is, of course, that's correct. Uh, Prabhupada himself had a college education, which he used, by the way, all the time in his preaching. So, Yukta Vairagya, we can use anything for Krishna if it can be appropriately used for Krishna. So, in fact, to, to, to reject things, Rupa Goswami says, to reject things that could be used for Krishna because someone is thinking, oh, that's just material, is uh, Falgu Vairagya. It's a uh, immature or trivial kind of renunciation. It's not, it's not yukta vairagya, it's not spiritual renunciation where you give up something precisely because it, it's not useful for Krishna or it's even an obstacle for Krishna's service. So these verses appear to be anti-education, really anti-entrepreneurial. I mean, I hope you are listening to the class because I explained probably about five times that that's not what the verses are and pro-suffering. Can you please comment, is it wrong for devotees to aspire to higher education and wealth that provides a comfortable living standard while pursuing bhakti? Uh, if you want to have a comfortable living, Prabhupada had a comfortable living. I mean, Prabhupada went to college, Prabhupada started a business. His family had everything they needed. So being comfortable is not maya, it's not sense gratification. To be comfortable is not, um, it's not sense gratification to sort of actively, aggressively uh, try to use something uh, for sense gratification is not the same. It's just not wanting to be always in anxiety, not wanting to be always in trouble or never knowing where your next meal is coming from or living in a dangerous neighborhood when you're trying to protect your children or yourself. So, uh, Yes, the, the um, of course, Kunti said that, you know, that it's good that these troubles happen, but in the case of Kunti, she was not distracted from Krishna consciousness. If our troubles take us away from Krishna, that's not good. But in the case of Kunti, it just intensified her Krishna consciousness because she was on that level. So we don't want troubles that are beyond us so that the troubles that just may are so disturbing that it makes it that they're not favorable for a Krishna consciousness. Of course, Krishna decides these things, but uh, no, uh, Prabhupada, I mean, Krishna, Krishna consciousness is pro-education, pro-wealth, used for Krishna, used properly. And we're not pro-suffering. In the case of Kunti, actually, uh, the external troubles stopped her suffering. That's her point. Because when all these troubles came, she intensely thought of Krishna because she was on that spiritual level. And because she intensely thought of Krishna, that ended all of her material suffering. So she suffered less 
when these troubles came, she actually suffered less than if the troubles had not come. Because if the troubles had not come, there's just the ordinary daily trouble of the material world. No matter who you are, no matter what your education is, no matter what your wealth is, or just this material world is just, I mean, at the very least, a constant nuisance. You know, there's always some anxiety. There's always something to worry about. And so ultimately Kunti suffered less because of these troubles, because she intensely thought of Krishna. Her mind was on the spiritual platform completely and she had a Krishna conscious life. Uh, if, we, if we try to pray to Krishna, let calamities come again and again, is there a risk that in our case, we may actually invite more troubles in our life? Uh, I have to honestly confess here, um, honest confession, I don't pray for troubles. I'm actually personally really satisfied with the troubles I already have. And of course, you know, if Krishna wants to do this or that, we have to accept it. And it's ultimately for the good. But I, uh, one thing I can say, again, the way I've taken this verse grammatically, which Prabhupada said new lights will come out. It's not meant to refute what, you know, another version of it that Prabhupada may have taught, is that in my own life, I can look back and see that all the troubles I did have, and we can all do that. We can all look back and remember the troubles we've had. Uh, there's an old blues song, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. So, you know, we all know our life history. We all know what we've been through. And uh, each one of us has our own troubles. And so I can definitely see the troubles I've had, how ultimately they saved me in different ways. At the time I was experiencing them, I was not thrilled about it. I was not like, oh, I'm so happy that this is happening. I have to admit, I didn't think that. Nor actually, I mean, couldn't to yourself, if we read Mahabharata or Bhagavatam, it's not that at the time she had the trouble, she was saying, Haribo, you know, this is ecstatic that they're trying to kill my children. Thank, oh, this is, you know, this is bliss. Because uh, I'm thinking of Krishna at, at the moment, she was actually not really thrilled about it, but on the material level, but it did make her intensely take shelter of Krishna. And it, she functioned in this world as an exalted pure devotee. So it's not that we're, you know, thrilled by tragedies in our life or troubles or whatever, but it's rather, remember that Kunti, remember two things about Kunti's prayers. Number one, the troubles are over. The troubles are over. And she's talking about things that happened in the past. And number two, she's seeing Krishna, which she, I mean, obviously not the first time, but in a sense, you could say, uh, because her Krishna consciousness is increasing. If you are a conditioned soul, which is our case, then uh, as we sincerely practice Krishna consciousness, we are able to perceive Krishna, whether in the deity form and his holy name and his pictures or just in our own mind, we're able to feel more and more Krishna's presence and to see Krishna more and more. And But devotional service is so wonderful, so marvelous, which is a synonym for wonderful, not to overuse wonderful. Anyway, Krishna consciousness is so powerful that even when you are a pure devotee, like Kunti, your Krishna consciousness still increases. 
So it's not that, yeah, it's really nice in the spiritual world. It's kind of like sort of the same thing every day. It's not like that. There's uh, even in the spiritual world or even in this world, if you're seeing Krishna, your bliss is ever increasing. Because Krishna is infinite. You never hit a bliss ceiling, so to speak. There is no, no hay un techo de bienaventuranza. There's no bliss ceiling. And that's, I remember preaching that in 1969 when I joined the Hare Krishna movement. And I was, I was actually a very ecstatic young brahmachari. And I remember to this day preaching to people and be, something which astonished me, no matter how many times I said it. Uh, every time I said it, I just thought it was uh, the most amazing thing that could ever be. And that is not for the rest of your life, because there is no finite amount of life that you have left, but forever, eternally, you will become happier and happier forever. And uh, that, I can't think of anything more amazing than that. And so that is Kunti's position. But again, when you are seeing Krishna personally and uh, and the troubles are over, then it's, you know, I mean, we can all look back at our troubles, not that there won't be more troubles. We don't want them. I mean, I, I have to admit, again, to be honest, I don't pray for troubles. I, uh, I do pray for empowerment in Krishna's service. I pray that Prabhupada and Krishna empower us so that we can spread this movement, that we can help other people, that we can, uh, I, I, I pray that, you know, I, I can become free from anything in my own character behavior, which I feel is not, is not worthy. So, um, Bukundi is a pure devotee and, and we can't always imitate the pure devotees. We can admire them. Just like I remember one time I was in a uh, Prabhupada was giving class in Los Angeles and we were sitting there and he was talking about um, Raghunath Das Goswami and uh, who was just eating like a few old grains of rice. I'm down to around 18 a day grains. I'm just kidding. That was a, that was a joke. Um, because Prabhupada said, he said, do not imitate Raghunath Das Goswami. He said, if you imitate Raghunath Das, you will fall down. So I think that, um, <clears throat> I would say, in fact, that we should not imitate Kunti Devi and pray, like, pour it on, Krishna, bring it on. Uh, whoa, I mean, be very careful before praying like that. I think, I think it's better to pray to Krishna, please just elevate me, please make me Krishna conscious, please give me the purity and the power to serve you in a way that satisfies Prabhupada, that fulfills Prabhupada's desires. I think that's uh, that's a good prayer. So uh, should we invite more troubles and then we would not be able to prove to Krishna that we meant our past difficulties? Should we be very careful? Yeah, I think I've explained that. Uh, what is the cause of all the troubles we go through? Uh, the cause is that it's something which is needed for our well-being. It's like, why do parents take their children to get injections or medical treatment or go take their children to the dentist, which may be painful, uh, because it's just necessary for their well-being. 
it's not the parents are thinking, yeah, I'm going to take my kid to the dentist and, you know, I suffered. I want my kid to suffer too. My kid's not, it's not going to have a better life than I did. I mean, obviously, you know, a parent like that really uh, should not have children. So parents, some, you know, have to sometimes subject their children to experiences the children don't like, they cry, or the child's playing and the mother has to pick up the child. We have to go home now. And uh, there's all kinds of things that parents have to do that children don't like at the moment. But in retrospect, when I look back at my own life, as a child and growing up, I had very good parents. And, um, and obviously, whatever they did is because they were trying to protect me or, or give me the best possible life. And so in the case of Krishna, he's a perfect parent. So how should we look at our troubles that... First of all, we should feel bad that I, you know, that, that Krishna had to do this because of my own imperfections or whatever. Uh, so the cause of our troubles is that we have used our free will in such a way that Krishna has to do this in order to save us. How should we pray when we go through so many calamities? Uh, we should pray to Krishna to you know, let me learn the lesson so I don't have to go through this again. And uh, please save me. I mean, there are calamities that are just too much. And um, and therefore, we, uh, we pray to Krishna to stop them. And there are many examples of that in the, um, I mean, right here in this section of the Bhagavatam. When uh, the Brahmastras were coming, the Pandavas didn't say nectar, you know, mercy. Now we, we now by Krishna's mercy, we're all going to be blown up by this Brahmastra. Uh, no, they reacted by trying to stop the trouble and by praying to Krishna to stop it. When when uh, there was a forest fire in Vrindavan, the residents didn't say mercy. Let's all jump into you know this is great. They prayed. They prayed to Krishna, please stop the fire. So those are dramatic troubles. I mean, a Brahmastra coming right at you or being caught, being surrounded by a forest fire, those are major troubles. But um, a devotee, you know, if there's a trouble in your life, which is actually, and you're trying your best just to be Krishna conscious, but it's somehow uh, stopping you or discouraging you from serving Krishna, or preventing you or something, then a devotee can pray to Krishna, please, you know, it's like your choice, Krishna. Please give me higher consciousness so I can see this in a Krishna conscious way. Because if you see things Krishna consciously, then the troubles are not so much troubles because you realize, we realize we're not the body. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, super. I mean, superficially, the trouble may still be there, but if you see it in a very Krishna conscious way, in which you don't identify with your material body or mind, in a sense, you don't suffer in the same way. Or the trouble may just prevent you from serving Krishna in the way you wish you could serve him for his pleasure. And so you may pray for the trouble to be taken away. Uh, so the important thing is, with the, uh, is that our prayers should be Krishna conscious. In other words, we should be praying not for sense gratification, but for real Krishna consciousness, knowing that that is the real happiness. 
I mean, obviously it would be absurd for someone who knows our philosophy to pray to Krishna for a material thing because I want to enjoy material things rather than praying for Krishna consciousness, which would give me real happiness and a clear understanding that real happiness doesn't come from enjoying anything in this world. So we're praying for Krishna consciousness and Krishna consciousness does eliminate material suffering by itself. And we're also praying for empowerment. For example, let's say that I'm suffering because I don't know how to make friendship with other people. Or uh, that's one example. And then, uh, and, and because of that, I'm not able to build a, a preaching program. So I may pray to Krishna, please. Actually, that, that happened to me. Uh, when I was a brahmachari, the good old days, those were the good old days. I can't think of a happier time in my brahmachari life. But uh, I, was a, I was a young devotee. I'd been in the movement about, uh, I guess, about nine months, eight or nine months. And I was in Boston. Prabhupada sent me to Boston to work on the press. But then they, anyway, some leaders came and reorganized everything and not really interested in the fact that Prabhupada told me to do that. And so I ended up as the uh, temple commander in what was the biggest temple in the world at that time because this compress was there. So it was actually the, the biggest temple, about 50 or 60 devotees. And um, and so because I was a younger devotee. There were many devotees there who had been in the movement longer than me because that was the East Coast and the movement started in the East Coast. So there were a lot of older devotees and I was a West Coast devotee, and so I joined later than them. And so I had this ecstatic experience of, you know, telling everybody what they had to do, and at times no one doing what I said, even though, you know, it was bona fide, as we say. I was actually the temple commander appointed by the president. I remember one time it finally came to a head when I was. Uh, I was told by the uh, person in charge of the deity worship and, and the kitchen, who is my god sister, my dear god sister, Rukmini, who's also young like me at that time. I mean, we're all, we're still young, but externally we were very young then. And uh, so she, uh, <laughs> she would tell me what had to be done. She was uh, dynamic. She was very dynamic and devotee. So she told me that uh, we needed someone to cook the offering for the deities. And so it was Japa time. So, you know, devotees, there's nothing devotee loves more than, than to be called out of their Japa to do something else like cook in the kitchen. I mean, anyway, so the temple was on the second floor. And so there were stairways. There was a stairway going up to the second floor. So I, I walked up the stairway. So like I was maybe about this high above the temple floor, you know, people could see me. And I was like, you know, I was motioning people over and everyone knew, everyone knew that if it was me calling them over at that time, it could only be one thing. You have to stop your japa and you've got to go do something else, which you really don't want to do at the time. And so I remember being on the stairway and I could not get anyone to come over. I was actually calling people over for about five minutes and everyone just either shook their head like no, or they just 
didn't even see me. I was like a ghost. They just walked right past me. They were, you know, people were walking around Chang Jaffa. And I, I couldn't get anyone to cook the offering. I, I think that um, I finally had to actually go up into the temple room and just sort of put a major guilt trip on somebody or something. Anyway, I mean, I think the offering was cooked, but I remember no one would pay any attention to me. And so, and then I had that experience other times. It's like once people realize that they could just say no. I remember I had to, uh, I had to, you know, as temple commander, I had to make sure everything went properly in the temple. And I could, that made a lot of trouble getting anyone to do anything because the word was out, just say no. You know, what's he going to do? And so, I mean, I wasn't physically intimidating. And so, so people were just saying no, just say no to temple commanders. So I remember I, I prayed to Krishna. I remember I went up to the, I think probably to see the deities, and I really seriously prayed to Krishna that please, because um, I think I, I might have talked to Satsarupa, who was the temple president, and he probably said something like, well, you've got to you know, be nice to the devotees. You've got to persuade them and everything. Because when you're young, you just think, you know, I have the authority to tell you to do something, so you have to do it. And so, um, so I did. I prayed a lot to Krishna because it was getting pretty miserable. And right after that prayer, everyone started doing what I asked them. I swear to God, true story. I mean, right after that prayer, literally, I think within hours, uh, suddenly I was everybody's favorite temple commander. And uh, people actually started doing what I, what I asked them to do. So, so anyway, there, I mean, there's all kinds of troubles in this world. And uh, the main thing of the prayers, though, is they should be Krishna conscious. And we should really be thinking as servants of Krishna. So how should we pray when we go through so many calamities? Oh, that's a similar question. I think I... We should pray for Krishna consciousness because Krishna consciousness is the solution to everything. And in some cases, like, like in Vrindavan, when there was a forest fire, the, the residents of Vrindavan just prayed, Krishna, please put out the fire. Krishna was kind of like the last resort fire department, you know, in Vrindavan. So they actually prayed to Krishna, please put out the fire. When there were demons, they prayed to Krishna, save us. So I've made this distinction to have let's say, or, or to, to render impure devotional service where you're serving Krishna, but at the same time you have personal desires, that's one thing. That's like, I'm serving Krishna, but I want a lot of money for myself, or I want to be famous, or I want to be powerful, or I want to be, I hope, you know, Krishna makes me very attractive to the opposite sex or something. And those are obviously material desires. That means that in your life, you have accepted as a project, as a purpose in your life to achieve some material thing. It's like an official life project. And you're serving Krishna with that desire. You allow that, you know, you, you allow that desire to remain in your mind. You kind of like justify it somehow. You don't see the problem, or you even pray to Krishna to help you. That's one thing. That's karma misra bhakti. People go to a temple or church or synagogue or a mandir and they pray for things. This is different. Some things in life are just so horrendous. They're just so bad that 
you just can't do anything but cry out to Krishna. So crying out to Krishna, as, as the gopis did, as, the, as all the residents of Vrindavan did, the most advanced devotees in the universe would cry out to Krishna for help from material problems. And it, it's not that they had some uh, material goal or project in their life. It's just something happened which was so bad. It was too much for them. And they just cried out to Krishna, save us, save us. In fact, Prabhupada, I mean, more from, we see it in the behavior of the greatest devotees. We see it in this part of the Bhagavatam where the Pandavas and, uh, and then Uttara, this great and beautiful young Vaishnava Uttara, where she was saying to Krishna, Pahi, Pahi, protect me, protect me. It's not that, you know, Krishna came and said, sorry, you know, that's a material request why don't you learn to render pure devotional service? I mean, that's not what Krishna did. What Krishna did is he came and he, he did protect her. Where the Pandavas were crying, I mean, Arjuna, as the Brahmastra was coming, as I said, more like this fiery cloud, almost like a nuclear cloud that's coming and, and if your cloud hits you, then, you know, you die. And, but you can see it coming miles away. And so you, I think we should think of the Brahmastra more in that way, like this nuclear cloud coming toward them and so there are so many cases in the where the where pure devotees cried out to krishna save me from this trouble so these that is not impure that does not mean that you're not rent serving krishna purely it means that some things are just so bad that um you just cry out to krishna to save you or to help you, or to give you higher consciousness, or do something. Because the combination of this trouble and my present state of consciousness is a really bad combination. And so therefore, you know, you pray to Krishna to do something. Sometimes, for example, devotees, as we know, devotees uh, get a terminal illness. And so at that point, they may just pray to Krishna, please, uh, Elevate me, please, uh, you know, reveal to me your glory so that I can rise above this. Because ultimately, even all these great devotees that prayed to Krishna, they all left this world eventually. They're not still here in the same bodies they were in back then. And so, therefore, there are some situations we realize this is just the way it is. And, uh, but you pray to Krishna because if, if Krishna blesses you with higher consciousness, then you will realize that you as a soul never, ever have a terminal illness. There's no such thing. Souls don't get illnesses and they certainly don't get terminal illnesses. And so there are some situations where Krishna will lift us to higher, there are many stories like this, even in Iskand, where, where Krishna will lift a devotee into higher consciousness and a devotee will just rise above the bodily condition realize that I'm not sick, I'm not in danger, I'm not dying, this is not happening to me, and the devotee will very blissfully uh, move on to a better life, consciously. So we have to actually study all the cases where devotees cry out to Krishna for help. And like I said, you know, really bad, it's not like, okay, you know, no one, no one can live forever in this world. I now have a terminal illness or it's just my time has come to move on to another life. So, you know, but we 
some people, I've seen it, like some devotees, unfortunately, become desperate. They pray to Krishna, stop this. I can't leave. I don't want to leave. And they're just, in other words, they're not really putting it in Krishna's hands. They're sort of telling Krishna, okay, Krishna, this is what you have to do. Of course, Uttara said, you know, save me, save me, Krishna. And then in Krishna book, that's what I want to say, Krishna, Prabhupada put at the beginning of Krishna book, Krishna, 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 hey, and then Pahi Mam and Raksha Mam, which uh, Pahi Mam means uh, uh, take care of me and Raksha Mam protect me. So, you know, protect me, save me, take care of me. So that's, and, and that prayer is right at the beginning of Krishna book. And, and, and the Krishna's pure devotees in the 10th canto do that all the time. So ultimately a devotee accepts Krishna's will, but some things are just too much. And, uh, and, and we have to pray to Krishna to help us because it's just too much. And, and we see that even in the greatest pure devotees. So using the analogy of the Brahmastra, how powerful or not at all could be well wishes, words, curses of people nowadays. Yeah, I think like sometimes there's the same, you know, break your Brahman thread. I think if you do that nowadays, you just, the biggest thing that can happen is you may injure your thumb. Um, personally, Personally, my firm conviction is that everything belongs to Krishna. You can't mechanically do things to people. Of course, we, we see in the, in the Shastra that sometimes there are curses or blessings, but it has to be with Krishna's approval. Ultimately, it's up to Krishna. For example, when Draupadi was insulted in the gambling hall, she um, basically cursed all these powerful warriors. She said that you dared to touch my hair. She's like undo my hair. And so she said that all of your wives will undo their hair because they'll be widows. In other words, you will, your wives will all become widows. In other words, you're gonna die for this. Couldn't, I mean, Draupadi was so angry. She was fiery, she was born from fire. And Andropadi declared that you will die for this. And then the Mahabharata said that Krishna heard what Draupadi had said. You know, they obviously people told her this is what Draupadi said. And Krishna said, I will enforce her words. I will personally enforce this. And so they were they were given capital punishment. They died because they dared to offend a great woman. They died for it. So, um, so therefore, I mean, as we know, so whatever happens to us, it's really Krishna. I was in Prabhupada's room, actually. Now I'll say something which some people won't like, but I guess that's my specialty. I was in, I was in Prabhupada's room, sitting right next to him, I mean, literally this far away from Prabhupada, when the first ISKCON astrologers came to ask Prabhupada's permission or blessings to do astrology for devotees. And Prabhupada said no. And Prabhupada said no. And the reason he gave was, he said, well, whatever will happen, I, I depend on Krishna. And he, he Prabhupada explained, indicated that he, uh, he didn't want um, devotees depending on 
you know, wearing stones and doing this and doing that. I mean, because it actually diminishes our sense of depending on Krishna. Of course, one can say Krishna sends these things. You know, Krishna sends stones and mantras and this and that. And you can think that if you like. In Prabhupada's life, you know, occasionally when he was sick, someone would bring an astrologer and say, okay, you know, what does the astrologer say? But um, I can't think of any time in Prabhupada's life when he ever made a major decision based on what an astrologer said. In my own life, I had experienced that when, when I was GBC in Alachua, in Florida, and devotees were working together to build a temple, to build a, a nice temple for the deities at New Raman Reti. And literally the most prominent astrologers in the world, in ISKCON, told me that we, we can't do it now uh, because astrologically it's just, you know, you shouldn't do it now, you should do it later. And I just thought, uh, you know, and, uh, and we built the temple. The temple was built on time. So again, I, you know, I understand there's astrology in Shastra, although there's not what you don't find actually is a lot of people making important decisions because an astrologer told them something. See, that, that's the point. If you look at the astrology, for example, there's the, the Jata Kovidas or the birth experts. You know, when Parikshit was born, when Prithu was born, when different people are born, the Jata Kovidas, which means the birth experts come and they make the calculations, but that doesn't, but what we don't see in the case of Yudhisthira, in the case of Parikshit, that people change their lives because of that, or they did things they wouldn't have done. Like in my case, I'm just saying, you know, everyone has a right to tell their own story. So my story is that I don't think I've ever in my life made a decision to do something or not do something based on astrology. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. And by the inconceivable kindness and mercy of Prabhupada and Krishna, I think I've had a wonderful life. I've had a wonderful life beyond my expectations and I can't think of a single time in my life. And my body is now 71 years old, although I know you won't believe it, but yeah, really it's true. But anyway, in, in, in my entire life, I've never made a decision to do something or not do something based on what an astrologer said. And I've had a wonderful, wonderful life beyond anything I could have dreamed or imagined. And Prabhupada personally said in my presence uh, that it's not something, he, he didn't want astrology permeating his society. He wanted people to depend on Krishna and take shelter of Krishna. So, uh, So using the analogy of Ramastra, how powerful or not at all could be well wishes, words, curses of people nowadays. First of all, I mean, of course, we all want the blessings of Vaishnavas, but I think we should live our life in such a way that it pleases the Vaishnavas and their well wishes coincide with the fact that you've done the right thing. When a Vaishnava, I mean, in a sense, I don't, I don't think I have the power, like I have some power, I can just say, okay, this is now going to happen in your life, or this is not going to happen. I'm just a tiny servant of Krishna. What I think I can do 
as a bona fide guru. Anyway, we'll make jokes about that. But anyway, I think what I can do is uh, convey Krishna's feelings. In other words, if I'm a sincere devotee and I take very seriously Prabhupada's instructions and Prabhupada's way of doing things, then I believe I can serve as a barometer, so to speak. I think that if someone behaves in a certain way, and it's not just that it annoyed me or you know, I'm not, I'm not having a great day and that really annoyed me. I don't mean that. Actually, I usually have good days, but what I mean is if someone does something and I feel in my heart, that was really a great thing to do, or, oh my God, I can't believe that person did that. I think that if I am Krishna conscious or to the extent that I am Krishna conscious, that reflects Krishna's feelings because I'm a servant of Krishna. And so if I say to somebody, you really shouldn't act like this, or you really shouldn't do something, or you really should do something. If I am Krishna conscious to the extent I am, I think it is a reliable reflection of Krishna's will. And if it's not, how in the world am I a bona fide spiritual master? If I just have all kinds of crazy ideas, well, Krishna didn't want that, but I don't know, I, I wanted it. I mean, then obviously I wouldn't be a very good guru. So uh, I think I'm doing a reasonable job. We can always do better. But I think I have a basic competence. And so, so what that means is that, um, so the well wishes or the goodwill of a devotee is powerful because it confirms Krishna's goodwill. And remember this very important verse in the Bhagavad Gita that Prabhupada, you know, personally taught me in a very powerful way on a morning walk in Los Angeles, where, I mean, of course, he taught me also in his books, but where Krishna says, that just be my instrument. Prabhupada said, uh, Lord Chaitanya has already spread his movement, but you take the credit. Krishna will give you the credit. You be the instrument. And that's exactly what Krishna told Arjuna. So I believe that the goodwill of a devotee, that the devotee is acting as an instrument of Krishna, that actually Krishna is all powerful. And Krishna says in the Gita, Ahang Sarvasya Prabhava, everything comes from me. Matak Sarvam right? Or actually, I'm the source of everything. Ahang Sarvasya Prabhava, I'm the source of everything. Matak from me. Sarvam pravarti, everything flows. And so I believe that all good fortune comes from Krishna and that a bona fide devotee is an instrument of Krishna. And Krishna says, nimitta mantram, only an instrument. And so Krishna, to glorify his devotee, he sends those blessings through a devotee. A devotee probably said transparent via media. So the blessings transparently come through the guru to the devotee, uh, to, to a person, to anyone. So I see, I mean, if this is my personal testimony here, it is Sunday mornings, time to make religious testimonies. And so my testimony is that uh, all good fortune comes from Krishna. And the more advanced a guru or Vaishnav is in Krishna consciousness, the more those blessings will come through that person because blessings are powerful. And the more one is transparent and pure in one's relationship with Krishna, the more power can come through. 
And so, um, yeah, so, so everything comes from Krishna. Krishna says that, all mercy. He says that we should just be the instrument. And the more someone is pure as a servant of Krishna, the more powerful the blessings that can come through that person. Because it's like, like what if someone gives you like, uh, when, I, when I was a kid, when I was 18 years old, and uh, I had just gone up to Berkeley for my, the second quarter of my freshman year, and uh, I needed a job because at that point, actually, my, my parents were not doing so well financially. Later, they did very well. But at that point, they sort of hit a, a low point. And so I, I, I had to get a student job. So I got a job working in a you know, very auspicious job, which shows, uh, you know, even in my youth, how important it was. I got a job in a paint store. And as we know, getting a job as a clerk in a paint store is a sign of a very auspicious birth. Anyway, so I got a job in the paint store and I was kind of, you know, I mean, I was obviously for my parents from a respectable family and the owners of the paint store, these two owners, they kind of trusted me. They kind of thought he's a good kid. So I remember the first day, the first or second day I was in the paint store, um, they actually gave me a sack full of money and told me to take it to the bank. I mean, obviously there was, there was nothing electronic. There were no credit cards back then. And they just gave me a bank sack, you know, full of coins and bills because coins actually still had value then and checks, whatever. And just said, go deposit this in the bank. Give me a deposit. And, I, and as I was walking to the bank, which was just a block or two away, I was thinking, wow, you know, they, they hardly know me. They just gave me a bag of money to deposit. And so, you know, it's an interesting thing so that, um, so how much can Krishna trust you with? I mean, what if they would give me a bag with, let's say I was older, because I was just a spaced out young student. It's like, and I wasn't really a thief by nature, but I mean, what if someone gives you a bag with thousand dollars, 10,000 billions of dollars? I mean, at what point would you be tempted? It's just like, let's say a young devotee meets someone of the opposite sex who's attractive, very attractive, like, ridiculously attractive. I mean, at what point, at what point does the opulence get so great that it kind of breaks down your self-control? You know, what, what's your limit in terms of how many good things you can have in your life before you start to get a little uh, wonky in the head, you know, and you start to, you start to get Krishna, how much opulence can you handle? how much power over other people. And in a sense, that's how much Krishna will give you. Because if, if you pray to Krishna, as most devotees do, please protect me, then Krishna is not going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. He's not going to give you enough rope to hang yourself if he's going to protect you. So, but what if Krishna can give you miles of rope and you still won't hang yourself? In other words, how much opulence can Krishna give you and it's still safe. You're not going to become crazy. You're not going to just do things you shouldn't do or become in a weird, get into a weird state of consciousness. And so in that sense, the more pure we are, the more Krishna can do powerful things in the world through us. And so if we pray to Krishna, please empower me or please give me the, you know, the, the strength to serve my spiritual masters or to serve you, but then Krishna's, he didn't give you so much that it, uh, you'll fall down or become weird. Or if Krishna's going to protect you, 
he can give you as much as like as a conductor. It's like, are you a semiconductor? Which means not all the energy comes through or are you a pure conductor? It, it, it's like, frankly, it's like the plumbing in your house. You know, you know, how much water can come through that pipe? Because if it's a really, this is a great, this is the first time I've used the pipe analogy. This is a landmark day in my preaching. So, you know, in, in, in plumbing, the bigger the pipe, the more, <laughs> the more water can come through or, you know, different cables. It's like you have electric wires in your house. And so if there's sudden, if there's too much electricity coming through, it burns the wire up. So how much power, how much spiritual power can we conduct? Can we transmit before the conductor itself, the pipe or the wire just is destroyed? And so the more pure we are, the more power can come through us and the more glorious servant, the more we can do for Krishna, the more we can do to save the, save this planet as Krishna's instrument. So, uh, so in that sense, the well wishes, I think the well wishes and, and uh, curses. First of all, I think Vaishnavas don't really curse. We, we kind of, we don't do curses. And uh, ultimately, Krishna, it's not that I have a certain amount of power. I don't see myself. As I have, let's say, a certain quantifiable amount of power. So I can curse someone, let's say, to break a leg, but not to have the leg amputated. Or I can, you know, curse. I mean, it's not like this. It's not that I have this power and it's like I have a gun. And, you know, am I going to shoot someone? You know, one bullet, two bullets, shoot. The, it's not like that. I believe that we are simply tiny servants of Krishna and that Krishna has all power. And that if we are pleasing to Krishna, he will manifest his power through us. And so Krishna may, I mean, there's that famous story, the Prabhupada, where in 1972, just after I took sannyasa, I was with a few brahmacharis, including pure Krishna brahmachari. And we were um, preaching in Southern Texas. We were in the town of Victoria in Southern Texas, in the plaza, this plaza in the center of the town. And we were on a rug. I had a harmonium. We were doing Harinam. And uh, this Texan came, this guy was huge. He was like this huge guy, big cowboy hat, and with a, with a, actually a Chicano friend who was also very large. And they just started mocking the kirtan, really harassing us and just trying to stop the, the Harinam. And so I remember, I don't know why I said this. It wasn't premeditated. I didn't, I didn't think about it. It just came out of me that if you don't stop this, Krishna's going to kill you. And I've never really said that to anyone before or since. And again, I didn't think about it. It's not like, okay, I'm gonna, it, it just it just came out. And and they didn't stop. And then, you know, 15 or 20 minutes later, the big guy, the Texan, actually died. And it, suddenly I was, you know, we were just chanting the plaza. Suddenly there were ambulances and sirens and people running all over the place. And the guy had actually stumbled, fell on his head and died. And again, I didn't curse him. I just somehow Krishna just, it just came out of nowhere. Krishna made me say that. And they told Prabhupada that story. Devotees told Prabhupada that story. And as it was reported back to me, Prabhupada said that about me, he has great faith in Krishna. And so again, when I think back to that story where I told someone Krishna's gonna kill you and Krishna did kill him like 15 or 20 minutes later, that um, 
again, I didn't curse that person. Somehow Krishna just made me say the words. And as I was saying them, like, I was almost surprised that I'd said it. Krishna made me say it. So, yeah, so that's my position, that all power is with Krishna. We are instruments. And But if a devotee is in touch with Krishna and Krishna makes a person say something, a devotee, then it can come true because it's Krishna speaking through that person. Okay, thank you all very much. Class a little longer today. Uh, I'm going to give you this longer class at the same price. Uh, so don't thank me. I'm happy to do it. Anyway, so thank you all very much. And I hope that uh, you'll all be back. Bring your friends, family, you know, strangers off the street. Bring everyone to our class next Sunday. So Hare Krishna. Uh, and have, uh, have a great life in Krishna consciousness. <laughs>